This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, well, I'm going to be discussing hair. Now, before we started recording, Tom said that uh, he's in desperate need of a haircut. When you get a haircut, Chris and Tom... Does it tend to go, well, do you know what you're doing? Do you go in and ask for the right thing? Are you happy with the hair you've got? Because of all the aspects of human beauty, none really causes as much anxiety as hair. Because it's the most visible, physical aspect, I suppose, of who we are. I mean, even someone like Caesar, he was was embarrassed at losing the sort of haircut that he invented um, the sort of the brushed forward comb over that, that that he made famous, and when he started, to, when his hair started to thin, he got really embarrassed um, by it. So, Chris, Tommy, that was of course that was that was that was pre baseball cap as well, wasn't it? <laughs> that so wasn't he, an option, he, which is what I go to when I've got bad hair. Have you had any bad haircut experiences? Any haircuts you're so, embarrassed so my, by? My experience is no. I'm quite confident when I go into a hairdresser. I do know what I want. I always ask for the same thing, and it normally what works. Do you, what do you same. say? I'm always fascinated. So I like I say I have quite lazy hair. I like it choppy, bit of texture, cut into it. That's why that's what I say. And uh <laughs> that's not and they go, <laughs> And they say have, just have a go at it. <laughs> See we can No, I basically say it, it's, the, it's it. this bit shorter, bit choppy, bit of texture, push it forward, and they go, Yeah, I'm dealing with a cool. <laughs> um so the haircut is normally successful, but my hair has the ability about five weeks in to tip over in like one day from good to just I look exactly like my mother. Yes, and my mother my, is my she's a lovely lady, but I don't want the hair of a, of a seventy-eight-year-old woman. Yeah, final <laughs> final Monday overnight. Final Monday yeah. by Tuesday, mud professor. It's crazy. I don't understand what's happening there. It's just it's like just like that. I had spikes when I was in year four, about sort of yeah. eighty-nine, ninety, and when the hairdresser did it, it looked great. And mum bought me the gel from Tesco. But the problem was, I was too young to do it myself, so I was reliant on my mother to be a hairdresser every morning. She had three kids. She was doing the school run on her own. I'm seven years older than my little sister, so obviously my little sister would have been sort of one or something or two. And so 
It, it never looked as good as it did in the hairdresser. And there's a, there's, there's a, there's a school fault of me. Where obviously I said, Mum, you need to do my spikes. And it looks absolutely bonkers. And it's yeah. so embarrassing. Just too complex. What about you, Chris? I can imagine you had some absolutely awful haircuts in your Chris, youth. Chris, I've seen photos of Chris from the past, and you've had some terrible haircuts. Yeah, probably. But I remember one. the first haircut I really wanted was Jason Donovan's. I remember. I wanted that. Into- I took a photo of him into the hairdresser. Yeah, into the hairdresser. Yeah, yeah. And they said, your hair's not long enough. And... <laughs> It's a journey Sorry, I've you been took on a photo since. just to go. Let's go back on that. Yeah. yeah, you took a photo, and you, Chris, as well. Yeah, yeah you took yeah, a yeah. photo of Jason, Jason Donovan, Donovan yeah, yeah, into yeah. the hairdresser. But the problem, <laughs> was, but the problem was, well, where was his photo? Like a mag- you cut it out of a magazine. It in a magazine yeah. yeah, it had been in fast forward magazine or something. I mean, he was he was everywhere. He was a big cultural icon in about 1989, 90. You shouldn't need to take a photo then. No, no. <laughs> well, I, the reason I did was because my barber was like a 68 year old man from Halford West called George. Well, it was probably the one person in Britain, apart from Judge Pickles, who didn't know who Jason Donovan was. And obviously, because he was a 68-year-old barber called George, who, who, who had, like, three haircuts. George was, like, army cut one, army cut two, and the George. <laughs> Do you remember, this, is, this is a mad claim to fame that I've just remembered. My, one of my mates in primary school, his brother was one of those guys that would be in the black-and-white photos of haircuts in oh, every wow. barber in Britain. Oh, that's Britain. incredible. And you know that every barber would have these same black and yeah, white pictures yeah, yeah. of haircuts. And my mate's brother was one of those guys. And at, right up until, I'd still say in the 2010s, I was seeing pictures of him. That's so, but amazing. But now he's really died down. Yeah. But remember, it was the same four or five pictures in every barber's. Yeah. And those haircuts always seemed about five years out of date yes. as well. <laughs> You, you never saw a haircut. You thought, "Oh, that's what people have now." It's always it was like, I remember the haircut from about five years ago. <laughs> Do you remember the other thing about old barbers? It's like, I, like they used to go in there to be like a be, the biggest tub of wet look gel, and it would yeah. be blue with bubbles in it. And yeah. they would do, they'd go, "Do you want some gel?" Yes, and they would get like a a scoop, like a tennis ball size amount, yeah. and run it through your it hair. It was like deep dipping sheep. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember going to uh, Ed's clip joint in Carmarthen, a barber, and he put loads of aftershave in my uh, in my hair when I was about fifteen. <laughs> Just smelled like a fifteen-year-old man on the piss. My haircut at primary school and secondary school cost a pound. That's what it cost. Yeah, uh, yeah. Barber. There was yeah. the same barber my my mum used to take me to, and it was a quid. I used to get That's my haircut looked, by a farmer's awful. wife, and it was three quid when yeah. I was a teenager. <laughs> She's the kind of farmer's wife calling, charging three times what my she, she, a professional she used to come to the house and do it in the kitchen <laughs> using the sheep shit. <laughs> Until I got to the stage she, where I was like, "Mum, this is ruining my life. <laughs> I look bad all the time." So, so yeah, it was um, you know the baldy man in the Roman era was. It was a, it was a standard joke, and it was a joke to poke fun at the dictator's bald patch and what he did to cover it up. In the same way that people make the fun make fun of comb overs now, although the comb over, to be honest, has died out, doesn't it? Really, the kind yes. of Bobby Charlton comb over you, ne- you never see anymore. But until I would say probably the late nineties, early two thousands, no one ever had a skinhead apart from skinheads. 
and there were various yes there were various cultural connotations with the skinhead whereas now if you're losing your hair you just shave it off and that's absolutely kind of fine in the <laughs> roman era if you were sort of an academic or something and you were bald or you were losing your hair you were immune from jokes now let's let's uh, move forward to 17th century france king louis the 8th he realized that he had the same problem as caesar and He's gutted because he's losing his hair at the age of 23. Now, Louis had always worn his hair long, which was a sign of his youthful vigour. So he thought, well, what am I going to do about it? And his answer was, I'll kickstart a fashion trend that will last until the French Revolution, wigs. No way, that was him. Yeah. Interesting. That's now, amazing. he wasn't the first... I'll tell you what, very briefly, Ellis, I'll tell you what I find quite interesting about that is someone with that much power and wealth and... Really, no matter what he looks like, people are going to say he looks amazing. Well, still, well, that insecurity about your hair and your receding hairline would still concern you, despite the fact it just—it doesn't really matter well, well, what you look let's like. Let's look at it, right? Uh, the most powerful people in our lifetimes in the UK: Thatcher, Major, Blair, Brown, uh, Cameron. Um, I'm losing count now because it's because uh, we're getting to the crazy Tory era. May. Um, yes. Johnson, Truss, of Truss, Sunak. <laughs> Have you ever looked at them and thought, oh, God, <laughs> I'd love to dress like them? <laughs> <laughs> or the Queen or King Charles. Have you ever looked at King Charles and gone, I want what he's got? <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's crazy, isn't it? The idea that you'd base yeah. your look on a, on a monarch. I got a, a bit of that at the coronation. Did you? The long red gown and the crown. I thought maybe I could rock that. <laughs> Quite a nice look. Now, now uh, Louis VIII, he wasn't the first European monarch to sport a wig. Um, so England's Elizabeth I had worn one to cover her greying, short-cropped hair. Um, she had at least 80 wigs in her collection. Uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, wore wigs as well. Um, and it was, it was revealed, in fact, that Mary, Queen of Scots, wore a wig in quite dramatic fashion because following her execution, the executioner picked up her head by the hair uh, and it just it it like fell off and uh, left him sort of holding the hairpiece with a sort of head ro- rolling along. I imagine and people oh, were stunned. Always to end on a laugh, isn't it? That's yeah, the, yeah. Isn't that doubly embarrassing? Not only have your heads chopped off, here's the head. Oh, drop those. Oh, it was a wig as well. I think you're probably past caring by that stage. You're probably about thirty seconds past well, caring. No. Actually, Ellis, I think aren't there sort of like scientific records that show that your head remains alive for about. One and a half seconds after yeah. it's been chopped off. So her head would have been chopped off. She'd have gone, oh, no. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah, yeah. And that would be <laughs> Three it. seconds of, well, that is embarrassing. Well, <laughs> you know, your head chopped off, you're thinking, well, that's the final indignity. We're done, we're done here. Oh, no. Off pops the wig. And well, at least gone. my... Oh, no. So is it 140 <laughs> wigs she has? Wow. Uh, no, um... Elizabeth I had about 80. Elizabeth I had 80. Do but, you need that many? Um... Yeah, for di- I mean, Guy Lineker's got... Are they di- different functions, Guy, different looks? Guy Lineker's got different glasses for different episodes of Match of the Day. So maybe if she was playing five aside, she might have like a shorter <laughs> wig if she was going to a wedding. A sport a wig. <laughs> sport wig, exactly, yeah. But Louis VIII... Depending on the heat. Louis VIII's hairpiece, it was something new, right? He needed to maintain long, flowing locks. And so he broke with uh, what was a traditional French practice at the time, which stated that wigs were only worn by redheads like Mary and Elizabeth, by courtesans. So what the king did first... Uh, the court did soon afterwards. By the end of the 1620s, wigs were all the rage amongst the fashion-conscious French. Um, uh, a friend of mine is part of the Elvis impersonator scene. 
And his Elvis wig cost him an absolute fortune. And when he showed it to me, he said, that is real Chinese man's hair. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that Chinese man looked a lot like Elvis? Do you think the hair, he already looked like Elvis? He's like talent spotted. Yeah, yeah, and they were like, right, you, we'll offer you whatever it it needs, whatever it takes. (laughs) We need that. On someone else's head. <laughs> now, Louis' son, Louis the Ninth, who also experienced hair loss as a teenager, he took things to even greater heights. Huge, gigantic wigs that placed such a demand on supplies of hair, human hair for the king's wigs, of course, that the royal wig maker, uh, Georges Binet, threatened to strip the heads of everyone in France if that meant he could cover Louis' hair. Like, it was it was a big deal. The guy needed a lot of hair. Because when you see pictures of Louis the Ninth. The wigs are huge. Now, it was not just France by this point. Charles II, who was newly restored to the English throne in 1660, he took sartorial habits he'd picked up at the French court and he brought them to England, ushering in an era of wigs um, in, in, in England as well. Because that's, that's the thing. Fashions did cross countries in those days. It happened more slowly. But there was, you know, there, there, there was contact between different countries. We weren't living... As in such isolated existence as you would think. Now his brother, yeah. James II. Can, can II, I just quickly ask on that? Do you think that how how is that trend happening? Are the people walking in the room seeing Louis going, "That wig is bloody brilliant," or is it like posters or paintings? I reckon it was probably because they would meet up to sign treaties and things. It's about what those in power look like. It's aspirational, isn't that? That's basically what it is, isn't it, I suppose. And that's how, that's how it would pass around because it's so much would be about being seen to be coming, you know, to, to be of a certain level, a sort of societal level, and to be dressing in the appropriate Now, um, Charles II's brother, James II, he also liked wigs, but the, the diarist Samuel Pepys appears to have hated the trend for periwigs, as they were known at the time, and he preferred natural hair, although he was sensible enough to wear a wig in public. Now, Pepys was a... Spe- that was Samuel Pepys, was it? Yeah, he was especially paranoid during the year of the plague, 1665. So he wrote in his diary, It is a wonder... What will be the fashion after the plague is done as to periwigs? For nobody will care to buy any hair for fear of the infection. Any hair, that is, that had been cut off the heads of people dead of the plague. Imagine wearing a wig that had been made from someone's hair and that person had died of the plague. You'd be like, to be honest, I'll just shave it off. I'm fine, actually. <laughs> I imagine the wig seller would be a little bit hazy about where it had come from in that case. Yeah. No, I just get it from a wholesaler. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the the wholesaler's actually based in Milton Keynes. Uh, I don't know where he gets it from, but he's a really good guy, and I've worked with him for years, actually. And um, Yeah, so it's, it's probably abroad, I would say. Yeah. One thing I will say about this wholesaler, he, he definitely didn't have a cough. He didn't have a cough. He's very, very clear lungs. Um, very briefly, this is absolutely mad. My five-and-a-half-year-old, my, my five-and-a-half-year-old, my five-year-old has been learning about... Um, Great Fire of London at school yes, my kids done recently. And um, his friend from school, they'd been talking about, basically death came up. They started talking about what happens when you die because people died in the Great Fire of London. And his friend told him that when you die, you come back as a piece of furniture. <laughs> as a coffee table on Monday Time Machine. <laughs> to cut, to cut a long that? story short, <laughs> to cut a long story short, my son is now convinced that the light in our room is Samuel, is Samuel Pepys. <laughs> <laughs> the light above our bed. He's utterly convinced 
is Samuel P. Oh, that, wow. But not in a jokey way. He just convinces Samuel P. I love that. Here you go. Sweet, sweet, That's lovely. Uh, unfortunately for Samuel Peeps slash your light sh- uh, your lampshade, uh, Wiggery was sustained for the rest of his lifetime, well into the 18th century. Although there was there were fashion changes allowed for use of sort of simpler, shorter wigs, um, a bit like uh, the distinction between a sort of judge's wig and one worn by a barrister. They 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 changed with time. Now, fashion for wigs began to decline by the second half of the 18th century, accelerated by the American Revolution, then by the French Revolution. Uh, George Washington, for example, eschewed uh, wigs. He preferred to dye his normally red hair. Uh, I didn't ah. realise he had red hair. My daughter's got red hair. I'll be telling her that when she comes back from school. Uh, he would dye his hair white uh, using a sort of fragrant powder or pomade. And where Washington went, obviously, uh, his successes followed. So John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, both wig wearers as young men, preferred to keep their natural hair when in office. Now, this might seem like a turn towards more sort of common habits, but it wasn't. The American revolutionaries were deliberate in setting themselves apart from the old world. But all over European and North American society, wigs was likely to be seen on the heads of ordinary men and women as those from aristocratic and royal elites. So it was big amongst sort of common people. Can you imagine that? It must have looked looked really weird. But I suppose if everyone was doing it, it would have been absolutely fine. It's just I I had no idea that was such a, such a, a big fashion. Do you know what? I'm just sat here thinking, like, all fashion is cyclical, isn't it? Things go away and then they come back. Like, the mullet is big now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it really is. Sam Fender. I went to Sam I went to watch Swansea play, and the young men under the age of 25 had non-ironic mullets. Yeah, non-ironic <laughs> They weren't on stacks. It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no matter how bad a fashion thing is, you think, you'll think, oh, that'll never come back. And it does. It always yeah, comes back. Yeah, the mullet, I thought, that's never coming back. And yet, here we yeah. are. So, but wigs now—they've been—they've had a while on the sideline. Do you think are they about to make a big comeback? Is it? Are we could we make a fashion prediction on this? If they were so massive that everyone had them, well, surely they'd do a comeback. I remember reading in an epi- in a in an edition of Q magazine, the music magazine, when John Squire of the Stone Roses, they would with his second band, the Seahorses, they were doing a tour, a European tour. And he started walking around European cities with the tags of his jeans still on. Right. It's like when you buy jeans in a shop, there'd be the sort of tag yeah. by the pocket. He he kept them on. And the journalist made fun of this. And the photographer pointed out that in 1989, he and his three mates basically single-handedly brought back flares, something that was regarded as impossible. Right. So you just need someone charismatic <laughs> enough to wear yeah. a wig. Suddenly, if Harry Styles started wearing wigs, yes, people would wear wigs. Do you think? Or if Absolutely. Taylor Swift was yeah. doing it. You just need some absolute maniac to go. <laughs> well, Little Richard had a bit of a go, didn't he? Now, yes, now that's true. <laughs> For me, I, I think... I, I think... I, I like the potential for you know expression and all the incredible shapes you could do with a wig or whatever for me the problem for me would be the day-to-day frustrations of having something that big on my head that would be the issue if it fall, getting onto the tube and it bumping into things that sort of thing would be the thing that would stop <laughs> i i know a woman and she must have 50 wigs and she wears them 
just because she wants to look different on a night out. Like she's not, she, she hasn't lost her hair or anything. It's, it's purely a, a, an aesthetic choice. Now, you know how if you walk down any high street, there's vape shops everywhere. There were so many wig makers serving so many different types of people in Paris on the eve of the revolution. There were about a thousand in 1771. In the words of a city directory publisher, there is no neighbourhood where one does not find many of them, and there is nothing easier than informing oneself about the most renowned. So wig shops were like the kind of newsagents of Paris. Yeah. You, you like, you know, chicken shops is the one, especially in cities, there are chicken shops everywhere. But yeah, it was wig yeah. shops in Paris. And they were me- I love it. They were main- merely the shopkeepers. So there were thousands of travelling wig makers who plied their trade both in Paris and elsewhere in France, much to the annoyance of the organised wig makers' guilds. And their products were made from all manner of hair. Horses, cats, dog, human. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine a wig made of dog. horses' hair? Anything that could be meaningfully stripped and remodelled into a hairpiece, people were doing it. And then wig makers would double up as hairdressers. But nothing lasts forever. The double blow to the wig trade affected by political revolution and then the industrial revolution left only lawyers and actors still yearning for the disguise of the wig. But yeah, I reckon they're going to come back. We should get in quick. We should start wearing wigs. When we do press shots for this podcast, we should all be in massive, like, Louis the Ninth wigs. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Your friend who wears 50 different wigs, is she on the run? No. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I'm going to talk to you today, you lucky gents, about spots. Uh, acne and the weird ways that people have tried to treat them in the past. So, d- did you get spots when you were younger? Yes, your, terrible. How are your faces? Okay, um, talk, talk to me about that. So frustrating. Uh, I kind of got away with it in school, and it started to happen to me at university, in particular my third year. So, school oh, really? I was kind of all right, but then I would say between the ages of nineteen, twenty-one, it was at its worst. Just as I'd moved, just as I'd moved out of my mum and dad's house, great, and so, <laughs> just as I had a girlfriend, that was great. <laughs> moved to the big city, so good. Moved to the big city. Seventeen, it wasn't too bad. By twenty-one, it was absolutely horrendous. Thanks, um, and I didn't do anything about it because I remember discussing this with my friend Ed who was in a similar position and we both agreed that that would be an admission of defeat so I just walked around <laughs> uh, the one thing I did do was from um, a magazine uh, like a magazine my sister was reading I remember reading uh, that Anton Deck put toothpaste 
on their spots to get rid of them, so I gave that a go, and it didn't work, because Ant and Deck <laughs> were not GPs. They were, at the time, novelty rappers. <laughs> they weren't dermatologists. I, I, they were TV presenters. Am I alone in um, uh, uh, imagining them applying the toothpaste to each other's faces? <laughs> <laughs> Quite lovingly. <laughs> stood next to each other, lightly yeah. dabbing each other's face. I, my, I, I had spots in, in sixth form. That was my bad. That was my worst period. And do you have do you have loads all over like a pizza face? No, was, I wasn't like that. It was I was just, just my get, chin. Pizza I'd face get, like, that brings it back. Huge one. Yeah, <laughs> not heard that face. for a while. In fact, <laughs> yes. I had I had I'll bring one. Out all the old I had, school insults now. I had one spot in sixth form that was so big. I got to school. I looked in the mirror. I looked at it. And I thought, I just can't be here today. And I just walked home. <laughs> oh, I just tub. walked home for an hour. Walked an hour back to my house. It was just I thought I can't be at school with a spot that big. I just need to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. I, might, I would get back. spots, but I would get like one massive spot every four months. Oh, like it wasn't. Sod. There was no coverage. It would be one volcano on my chin. Every you consolidated all your spots into an easily manageable <laughs> lump. My uh, my girl, first girlfriend's father suggested I use TCP on my spots. So for a couple of months, I walked around and uh, I just I just smelled like a dying like I just smelled like dying livestock. <laughs> my uh, my nan said to me, "Witch hazel, which did work." Yes, did you witch ever try hazel that? did yes. work. That mad. Witch hazel was good. Yeah, I used to use that. It used to scare me because its name's witch hazel. Yes, like, yes. Oh. Is it a potion or something? Yeah. So, your anxiety, my anxiety, the shared anxiety about acne is not a modern phenomenon, okay? So the term acne didn't gain popular currency until the 18th century, and commercials over-the-counter remedies only became available in the 19th century. So quite late, really. For example, Victorians... For example, Victorians used products such as vinolia soap and creams to ease the stress of them, if not to cure them. Um, but, and this is what's interesting, it was around that time, it was assumed that spots were just this sort of modern industrial condition. That's what people thought. It's just a modern condition that people are suffering with now. That was until the mid-1870s, when a German Egyptologist by the name of George Ebers purchased an ancient papyrus and suddenly realised that this ancient Egyptian scroll... Um, reference all manner of treatments of skin ailments, including spots. At which point it became clear the condition had actually existed since ancient times. In fact, now get this, the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922 shed more light on this, as buried with Tutankhamun were loads of materials for treating acne. Wow! So wow. there's loads of acne treatments buried with Tutankhamun, which I think is... Considering he was a teenage king is the most teenage thing you can <laughs> yeah, bury someone yeah, yeah. with. Maybe apart from a PlayStation 5 or That's something like that. That's amazing, yeah. His Switch. And a, papy- a papyrus of Pamela Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good point. What are the top three things you can get buried with which show you're a teenager? It is that, isn't it? Yeah. The papyrus of Pamela Anderson and a sort of wooden Nintendo Switch. <laughs> A, a mango vape. <laughs> really baggy blue bolt jeans. Yeah, yeah. So poor old Tutankhamun had bad spots. This is what we can take from this. Oh, no. And what is in particularly interesting, though, is it, that information meant that they then looked back on this papyrus, the, uh, the Herbers papyrus, and they reread it with this sort of 
new idea that this really is all about the skin condition of spots and acne. And they realised it showed various treatments that were used at the time. So I'm going to take you through some of these ancient Egyptian treatments for spots and see what you think. Um, first, this papyrus said you should rub the body with a ball made of powdered onions. This was the, the first idea. <laughs> <laughs> My worry there is you, you just stink of onions, yeah, which yeah. feels like more of an issue than the spots. But, I, but I, I smoked TCP in 1999, so, yeah, you know, I, I can handle that. Would you rather your rep in sixth form was that you stunk of onions <laughs> or you were spotted? <laughs> which is worse? I don't know which is... I think I'd rather go spots. Yeah, I think so. So if that didn't work... Then the Egyptians suggested that the onions should be mixed with sea salt and urine before being rubbed into the skin. Because <laughs> oh, I can tell you what won't sting already sensitive skin. It's onions, piss and sea yeah. salt. Those are the, the three things that will be nice and gentle on your skin. <laughs> when, when you open up, when you get one of those sort of like hand lotions or whatever it happens to be, you're, you're, that's what you look for, isn't it? Sea salt, piss and onions. <laughs> the things you hope will be in there. Yeah, when you're in a posh toilet... Like when you're yeah. in a toilet, a toilet at a posh hotel, and uh, there'll be yeah. rather than sort of liquid soap, it will be a kind of hand soap from a from from you know, and yeah, and it will always smell of a, 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 usually an odd combination, like lavender and mint, but yeah, piss, onions, salt. You're like, yeah, this is really getting to the root of it now. Well, there's even worse treatments suggested on this one incredible piece of Egyptian scroll. Alternative treatments included mixing lead, cat dung and dog dung before rubbing that into the skin. I think if you find yourself rubbing dog turds into your face to deal with your spots, it's time to grow a beard. This is not the way to deal with it. The problem is, when I had acne, I couldn't grow a beard. Right. Uh, and so, so you'd, you'd have been there walking around parks with a pooper scooper. Do you know what? Um, I'm not completely mad. I would have gone cat shit over dog shit. <laughs> would you? Okay. <laughs> because if I had to choose one of the animal shits, I would always go cat shit over dog shit. Can we do the pyramid of shit danger? Is it not fox, dog, cat? Dog is this? above fox, surely. Dog no, is above fox. fox. Is really? horrendous. Fox is, is it really? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember how I know that. Okay. A fox shot on so, my front step and it was fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Scooped it up, rubbed but, it on your face, and you haven't had acne since. Yeah, however, your um, skin's never but, looked better. You <laughs> lost 25 years younger. Yeah. Wow, Ellis. <laughs> Have you seen Ellis? He's found the elixir of youth. No, a fox shot on his front step. He <laughs> <laughs> rubbed it on his face. I woke up one morning to find a fox shitting on my face, and I was really annoyed. And he looked at me and said, "Give it twenty-four hours." <laughs> I said, "I will. I will do that. Thank you." I'll um, just sit here, and and now we wait. And that fox grew up to be Estee Lauder. <laughs> <laughs> the final suggested treatment on this scroll include the applications of aloe vera for its soothing properties and an ointment of honey and sulphur. Do you know what? Sulphur? That makes you think. I would be... No, but the the honey and aloe vera, I'd be fucking livid if, as I was rubbing dog shit into my face, they then mentioned that was an yes. option. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you t- why are you telling me this now? You've done it. And then they're like, and of course we have the aloe vera option. You what? <laughs> yeah. 
the guy going, oh, sorry, I've got the scroll upside down. I've read those in the wrong order. <laughs> I, must, I must put this list in alphabetical order. The dog turd is obviously the last, <laughs> is the last option. <laughs> sorry. It's obviously honey first. Um, of these various medicines, understandably, the one that was most widely adopted by other cultures in the ancient Mediterranean world was, was honey and shit. sulfur. <laughs> it was, fox- was honey and sulfur, partly because it worked. So the sulfur, interestingly, did work as an antiseptic. So that it, it, it did work. That was actually had medicinal qualities. Or the honey cleansed the skin. So that one did actually work. In fact, the Egyptian honey and sulfur mix would find its way into Greek medicine and from there into Rome. So it really spread. That said, the Greeks and the Romans weren't averse to the odd wacky solution themselves. Uh, one Greek physician suggested the best treatment for spots um, in ancient Greece was was rubbing them with a towel whilst watching a shooting star. <laughs> the idea being that the star falling to earth would somehow drag your spots away from your face. However, arguably, this wasn't the most ridiculous thing. Rome's most prominent doctor, Claudius Galen, was adamant that teenage acne was probably caused by... like to guess? This is the final thing. What do you think? Hormones. He said teenage... Hormones. You've gone with hormones. What are you going with, Ellis? Um, the moon. I don't know. Uh, the gods. Well, he said it was overzealous masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> and he told his patients if they stopped wanking, then it would clear up. <laughs> and it really makes me feel for teenagers back then, because even if you did stop, it's obviously not going to sort out your spots. So everyone will just be going, well, he's still at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going no I have genuinely stopped because <laughs> everyone will go well, look, if you'd stopped it, you'd, you'd have a clear face so obviously you're not <laughs> you're still yeah I mean it's hard being a teenager isn't it <laughs> right the one thing you've discovered that you love that is causing this yeah <laughs> it's spots or wanking take your choice <laughs> Well, that's it for this week for the non-subscribers. But if you want to subscribe, you'll get a fourth part, which this week is on the man who brought bodybuilding to the UK, whose name is Banar McFadden, if you want to know about him. It's an alias of Tom Crane. (laughs) Tom Crane, the Groucho mask. Um, If you want to know about that man and you want a full part in every episode, get episodes a week early, ad-free in one complete part, and... Get a bonus episode every month, plus exclusive pre-sale access to live tickets. You can become a subscriber by going to ohwhatatime.com, and there you can choose a subscription on Spotify, on Apple, or on any podcast app via Another Slice. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.